I invite you to take your Bible and return with me back to John chapter 14. We are continuing our series in the upper room. Jesus speaking with his disciples before he is, uh, goes to the garden and is betrayed, goes through the mockery of trial, crucified, and then buried and raised, raised again. This is those final words then when Jesus, uh, as he's with his disciples, and we began this chapter with something that was a little unnerving to his disciples. Uh, he talked about going away. And after being with him, after leaving some of them, leaving their, their fishing, and some of them, like Matthew, the tax collector, and each one with the different jobs that they had known. Now they were having followed Jesus for these years. Now he's talking about leaving them. And that was disconcerting to them. And so we had looked at the beginning of chapter 14 with that in mind. As Jesus then is addressing some of their cares and concerns. Concerning this situation that. They find themselves in, but was not of their making. And I'd like to focus our thoughts today on verses 15 through 17. Not a long section, but it's about an important subject. Jesus introduces to them the promise of the Holy Spirit. As we said before, some of this has to be shaking their world because even to today, uh, the Hebrew nation is seen as a monotheistic, having a monotheistic God. One God, that's it. And Jesus has already talked to them about the Father. I'm going to let uh, not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house. He's talked about his Father already. And now we get to this section of his speaking to his disciples, and he's going to speak more in depth about the Holy Spirit, and we're just going to introduce it sort of today. Let me read these verses for you, and they're at the top of your notes if you have a set of notes. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So I'd like to focus on these few short verses and I want to begin with the theme of love. Now in verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So I want to speak to this issue of love. Now this is the word that we commonly know that is developed in the New Testament. Agapao or agape love. That choice of the will that says to be other-centered and, 
and mission-oriented, the idea of, of investing in others. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'll tell you, for a long time, I misread this verse. And some commentaries have gone off in that direction too, but I think it misses the point. I said, uh, it's, I saw it like, keep my commandments and prove your love. If you love me, keep, your, keep my commandments, right? So if I don't keep your commandments, I don't love you. Kind of harsh there, isn't it? But let me suggest something. That when we're speaking about this topic, that if we don't love God, you can just leave the last part of that sentence off. You don't have to worry about his commandments. If you don't love him, you don't have to worry about the commandments because that was the condition for the sentence. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you don't love me, you don't even have to worry about them. So let's change that focus and put it back on that aspect of love. And here's my summary statement. You can see it with the arrow there. Our love for the Lord will flow into demonstrable obedience. In other words, our obedience, keeping God's commandments, will come out of a heart that is full of love for the Lord. Basically, if we have gained insight into who Jesus Christ truly is, not just some itinerant preacher, but if we've gained insight into the fact, and this was true for the disciples too, if they saw him for who he truly was, the Son of God who is there to establish a spiritual kingdom, if they saw him for who he truly was, God who is worthy of worship, if they saw him for who he truly was, which was a lover of their souls, if they had seen what he had done, then our obedience would flow out of our response in love. In other words, this isn't a command saying, you must love Jesus by keeping the commandments. No, this is the idea, is if you do love him, that's the source of obedience. Our obedience then is not motivated by fear. What will God do if I don't obey? Well, that's not even the topic here. The topic is, do you love me? As Jesus would ask the question of Peter later on, do you love me? That's the question to us. If so, then it's not motivated by fear, it's motivated by love. Our obedience is not demanded of us for favor. In other words, 
we've got to do this if we want to get something from God. We've got to, we've got to put in some certain amount of effort and work and then establish some credibility with God or, or do some significant things in order that God would be well pleased with us and, and then care for us. No, he's already proven his love. The question is, do we love him? And if so, then we will follow him in obedience. So our love is not motivated by fear. Our obedience, our obedience is not motivated by fear. Our obedience is not demanded of us for favor from God. And our obedience is not proof of our loyalty. In other words, proof who you are and that you're in right standing with God. No, 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 no. This whole thing about demonstrable obedience is a matter of, do I love him? If I do, this is the way we can express our love back to him. That's the point. Right now, we have the question in front of us. How should I live this Christian life? What should I be doing? And if it's some sort of performance, then it's all out of kilter. This is a matter of response to love. First John chapter two, verses three through six, speaks to this about knowing the Lord, and he says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. There's the idea. We respond in love to him because we know him. We know what kind of character he has. We know his attributes. We know his care for us. Whoever says, oh, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The proof is in the pudding. You don't really know him. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of the Father is perfected. By this we, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, if we are his disciple, if we want to follow him, we want to see where his footprints go and walk in them. This verse then transitions into the topic of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And my summary statement for this section is this. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit want you to succeed in your spiritual life. It's the desire of all three. We see this in, in the passage. He says, I will ask the Father, here's Jesus, the Son, asking the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so his desire, Jesus' desire, is for you, 
The Father's desire for you is because he's going to give the Spirit. And the Spirit's desire is for you because he's going to come and dwell within you. All three members of the triunity or the trinity are desirous that you succeed in your spiritual life. Sometimes we get the notion that God is against us. Usually it's because we have sinned ourselves and, and we then sort of place our knowledge of being out of favor with him upon ourselves and then we wonder, does God really care about me? Does he? And the proof of the pudding is Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, and I'm going to pray to the Father and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. We want to look at some aspects. First of all, the gift. The gift is that Jesus wants to assure his disciples he is not leaving them stranded. If you go away, what are we going to do? Jesus says, I've got it covered. I've got it covered. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will be with you. The gift is a helper. In this particular translation, described as a helper. In other translations, well, let's put it this way. This word is a difficult one to take from the Greek into the English. It is the idea of sometimes an advocate, it's used that way in the Greek language, but the idea of helper is pretty good, but it, it just sounds like someone who you may will help you with your project. And, and, but this is the literally, the Greek is one who is called alongside. And the idea is assistant. Sometimes it's translated, I think in the King James, it's translated comforter, which is not really a bad translation going back into 1611 English because the idea of comfort there was someone who would come and support and strengthen you. So that word idea of comfort is not a bad one. It isn't just someone who steps in for a moment, you know, we got a temp here coming in and can help us get through a project and then that's going to be it. Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to send you one who is called to someone's aid. I'm going to call a helper. I'm going to have the Father send someone to be of, of service and ministering to you. John 16, which we'll get to, who knows, sometime in the future, said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Here he's been talking about going away and leaving them, and I'm going, what are we going to do? And he goes, it's your advantage if I go away. Well, how can that be advantage? He says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I go, I will send them to you. What's the advantage of having someone who comes and abides with you? Well, let me ask you, 
if uh, we were making the same reference concerning this group here, service is over now. Where do you go? Well, I'm back to your homes. Where do I go? Back to my home. Okay. Am I with you? No. I got one place I'm going to be. You're going to be in another place. Now you multiply that by all the believers and you go, can Jesus be with all the believers? He says, well, even if he was with a large group, he wouldn't be very close even to those in the group. What about those outside? Years ago, I had an opportunity to go to a Laker game down in California. This was, well, okay, it was decades ago. And we got some choice seats. I mean, we can lean our head back in our seat and we'll touch the roof. <laughs> and here we are looking down on the floor. And the floor was about the size of a U.S. postage stamp. And I think there was people running around. Were we close to any of the players? Giving them high fives after a slam dunk? No. It would be physically impossible to be close to them. Jesus said, it's better if I go away. By go away and ascend the Spirit, and He's going to be with you. So that when you go somewhere, there the Holy Spirit is. They said, Well, don't leave us, Jesus. He says, No, it's better for you. Because then the Holy Spirit will be with you. He uses the word here that's interesting. He says that He is going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word another here, there's different words for another, and this is the word that means one like this of the same kind. In other words, there are another who are those of another kind, and there are those of the same kind. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you one of the same kind. What do you mean? Someone like me. I'm not going to send you somebody that's different than me. I'm going to send someone who's like me. The helper is separate from the son, yet of the same character and nature. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be a helper. Well, what kind of helper was Jesus? Because he says, I'm going to send another one like me. We see that in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing to you these things that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate is the same word that we get comforter or helper here in John chapter 14. So we could say, we have a helper with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have 
a comforter with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This translation says, we have an advocate, someone who's been called alongside to be of help. Jesus said, if thy was that to you, the Holy Spirit will be to you as well. He will come and be like me to you. Different from me, separate from me, but like in character and nature. And then I love this whole idea here. And he says, I've asked the Father, he will give you another helper like me to be with you forever. I love it. What was the big concern of the disciples? You're leaving us. He says, but if I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's going to be with you how long? Week after Thursday. He's out of here. No, he's going to be with you forever. There will never be a time when after I send the Holy Spirit to be with you, to indwell you, he'll be with you forever. In the Old Testament, David, after he sinned, prayed a prayer to God and he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We don't have to pray that prayer. Jesus promised, when I send the Holy Spirit and he's in you as a believer, he's with you how long? Forever. 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 I love this passage in Ephesians 1. Of course, we, we studied that in Sunday school some time back now. But in this passage, talking about God's great work in us, and he says, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We, Paul talking about himself and other believers, he says, in him you also, writing to the church there at Ephesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the who? Promised the promised Holy Spirit. When did he promise it? Here in John 14. He says, if I go away, I'm going to send the Spirit. I promise. He says, and you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The beautiful picture there. Basically, the Holy Spirit is the earnest that God places upon us until he takes us into possession to himself. If you were to buy a house and you wanted to put earnest money down on it, it would be the idea of, I'm going to hold this house for you. And you have so many days to claim it. And that money will go towards the purchase price. And if you don't, you'll forfeit it. If you don't buy the house, you forfeit that earnest money because we've taken it off the mark. No one else can have access on it as long as that earnest is there. Usually there is some sort of time limit on our purchase of property. But here he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the earnest of our inheritance. How long is the Holy Spirit going to be with us? Forever. 
What was that? So is God going to take possession? Absolutely. It says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the praise of his glory. Have you experienced all that God has for you? Nope. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to being in his presence. I'm looking forward to leaving sin in my rear view mirror. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How many of you are going to say, God, you're worthy on that day. You're worthy. Then he describes who this helper is. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth. What did we say? That this helper who is going to be sent by the son was separate from the son but of the same character and nature. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, one who is of the same character and nature, the Holy Spirit is going to be one who is all about the truth. Any of you ever heard the term, um, Fake news. <laughs> Basically, we're speaking about things that are declared to be true but aren't true. That's not what the Holy Spirit is about. Holy Spirit is about the truth. And then one little last comment here in this passage. Like I say, this is only an introduction. He says, whom the world cannot receive, neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. They had already experienced the work of the Holy Spirit. But he's going to be sent to indwell them. But he says the world, the world won't get him. I wrote down here, exclusive, only for those who see and know him. That's who the Holy Spirit will come to be with. The world won't. They don't see him. They don't know him. Why? Because we're talking about a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual ministry. If you were to walk down the street, could you go, believer, unbeliever, believer, believer, unbeliever, believer, believer, unbeliever, 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 believer? We don't do that. Why? We can't see the uh, what's going on in their heart. We just see a person. Holy Spirit knows who he is. And he says, and the idea of seeing the Spirit and seeing what he is about is not the purview of unbelievers. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, for who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. In other words, who has the same mind as God the Father? The spirit does. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. That's what Jesus is saying here. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. And when he talks about you, he's talking about believers. He says the world isn't going to get it. He goes on to describe that and compares that to this verse, only two verses away in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he doesn't not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned or appraised. In other words, it takes a spiritual heart with a spiritual mind filled with the Spirit to understand what the Spirit is about. Natural man doesn't have that equipment, can't perceive then what the Spirit is doing. That's why the world, the natural man, then has a hard time with some of the things believers do. It doesn't make any sense to them. Why would you do that? It makes no sense to make money and then give it away to a church. <laughs> it makes no sense on a beautiful day to go indoors when you could be outside playing. Especially, it's not a work day. What in the world are you doing? That's weird. Natural man doesn't get it. Hopefully you do. So we have this introduction then to the Holy Spirit. And we have our two principal points that I wanted to bring out. First, our love for the Lord will flow into demonstrable obedience. If we love him, then we'll serve him. If we love him, then we'll follow his commandments. Do them. And the second point is this. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit want you to succeed in your spiritual life. They want you to prosper. They want you to make it. They want you to enjoy it. And they want to invite you into their presence. That's what God is about. And Jesus said, so you don't really need to be concerned about me going away because we got this covered. And again, we see the profound grace and mercy of God because he not only provided salvation, for mankind, a provision to pay for the penalty of sin, he also makes provision for us to live the life that he's called us to live. Didn't leave us hanging out there to dry. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these few verses that speak to our hearts lives. And like the disciples of old in that upper room, we are desirous to know what is the truth. And we're thankful that the truth is that you have loved us with an everlasting love and profoundly poured upon us blessing after blessing after blessing.
And if we grasp that, our response then in love is to follow you in obedience to your commands. We give thanks in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In a moment, we will be sharing the elements of the Lord's Supper. Again, broken bread, fruit of the vine, representing Jesus Christ's body broken for us and his blood shed for us. These elements are just elements. All they are are emblems that speak to a reality of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. When we partake, we're eating some cracker and drinking some juice. But it means so much more to us because we are called to reflect on what Jesus Christ has done. We invite you, if you're here this this day and you know Jesus Christ, to participate in the Lord's Supper. You don't need to be a, a member of our congregation. This is the Lord's Supper, not Woodland Baptist Church Supper. That's next week, next week after the service. And it won't be nearly as propitious. No. This, this we're told to do in remembrance of him. So we're going to take a few moments here to pray and um, prepare our hearts. And that's why we put it in the bulletin a week ahead of time, too, so that this last week you could be knowing that it was coming and just say, Lord, I just want to worship you. There's stuff in my heart and my life I need to get rid of. Let's take care of it now so when I come, I can go with full heart's assurance. But maybe you didn't get the word, or maybe you didn't prepare. Do you know how long it takes to get right with God? Moments, quietly, privately in your heart for the Lord. Let me lead you in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have revealed to us and the truth behind that revelation. That we're not just speaking words and talking about a subject, but really the work of the Holy Spirit is already at work in our hearts and lives. And this third person of the Trinity is a gracious gift that you have given to us. We saw in John chapter 14 that the Holy that the Father dwelled within. The Son, and now the Spirit dwells within us. Heavenly Father, what a rich heritage. And we come now to celebrate the obedience of the Son who loved the Father enough to come and offer up himself for us. To that end, we give thanks. In Jesus' name. In a moment, we'll have the men come and we'll share the elements. We'll pass them out and you're welcome to partake and then just hold it and we'll give you a signal and we'll all uh, partake together.
I'm going to invite the men to come, if you would, and, and uh, prepare to share the elements. Michael, would you lead us in prayer as we prepare to share broken eleven bread? Dear Heavenly Father, every month that we come into your house to you, to be able to give thanks and praise. What an honor it is to come together as a family and to, to give you glory with the lives that you have given us through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. As you have died to yourself, we die to ourselves every day. We ask for your help to, to die to ourselves even more every day and to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work through us and guide us and direct us to share the gospel and the love of Jesus to this very dark world that's out there and for those who need to hear and know of the, the love of Jesus just like what we have. We praise you and we thank you, Father, for everything you've done for us and let our lives glorify you with lives of thanks for what we do and share. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take the first element, some broken, unleavened bread. Jesus did in that upper room with his disciples, and he talked about his body broken for them. I'm sure even at that moment, they weren't quite sure what that meant. They were used to the Passover, they were used to the deliverance from Egypt but they were about to be permanently delivered from the effects and the penalty of sin. And it was gonna come through the sacrifice, not of a chosen lamb, but the lamb of God. As we partake of this first element, we're reminded that it cost the son a great deal in suffering, and then finally in death to the body. Let's partake, eat all of it. The second element is the fruit of the vine, the grape juice, representing Jesus Christ's blood that was shed for us and asked Tom if you lead us in prayer. Our precious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together and to remember what you have done for us on the cross. Mm -hmm. For we know that without the shedding of the blood, our sins are not forgiven. But you 
you were faithful and merciful on our lives and gave us grace that we can come before you and partake of this because of what you did on the cross for us. We give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. take the second element of this Lord's table and we move from the cracker representing his body to the grape juice representing his blood again it's just juice but it means so much more to us because we know that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness or remission of sin according to God's word and that Jesus Christ offered himself up willingly. And that sacrifice then established a new covenant in his blood. If we are entering into the family of God by faith, and we celebrate that as we remember Jesus Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Let's drink to that new covenant in his blood. I'm going to ask the men to return and collect your cups. And then, Mike, if you come and lead us in the closing song. <laughs> 